HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. I'm here today with farmer and scientist Claire Sullivan from Brooklyn. Hello, Claire. Hi, Severin. How's it going in Brooklyn for you these days? Pretty good. We are, of course, busy at this time of year. And we'd like it to stop raining. Would you mind describing to our listeners what you're growing on your roof and... um, and what your experience has been so far this this year and, and in the past years? Sure. So we are Feedback Farms. We're a small operation in our second year of growing. Um, so we actually, we're not growing on any roofs this year. We, and we're, what we've been, our model has been to try to access land um, that's vacant and then to put in raised beds. And some of that, we've, we've developed a model for a mobile raised bed because sometimes the land that's vacant in the city is maybe only vacant for a, a short period of time, say two or three years. Um, and there may be a developer with plans to develop it. And so that enables us to invest in our soils, but um, still, still use that land while it is while it is available. So this year we have um, two locations that are our main growing spaces and then a, a small um, collaboration with Nightingale 9, which is a, a restaurant. And what background did you bring to this project? How, what is informing your um, decisions as you're designing this engagement with the urban, urban farming? Um, so we have a very diverse 
group of people in our in our farm. Um, I work at Columbia's Earth Institute in the Agriculture and Food Security Center, so I do a lot of very rigorous scientific research on on agriculture and agriculture and environment interactions in the tropics. And then our other the other main farmers on the project are Thomas Halloran, who has done a lot of farming in the rural context and then is also and came to New York and is a software developer. And then Gregory Sigorka who is also a software developer. Um, and Tally Winkle helped start the project. She worked in a number of urban agricultural projects. So the the four of us um, I think brought a, a interest in experimenting with different methods of of growing in the city, and we were trying to do something. Um, we've been we've been focused not so much on roofs and and more on on trying to figure out ways to grow in these other kinds of spaces. So we're interested in like testing different crops for the city, testing different um, software tools and technological tools for managing these decentralized spaces. Um, those are, I think, I, I think that's where you see our, our different backgrounds and kind of research and, and software and then also... It's so wonderful. Um, so together. the feedback that you're getting um, in your work from the community, from your own team, clearly you're still doing it and you're interested in the results that you're that you're getting. Um, tell us about the feedback. So one of the neat things about our two main growing spaces is that they're really integrated into um, community gardens. Um, and I think that's a, just a neat part about urban agriculture is there's so much interface with the communities around the spaces. And so we've been sharing a lot of our results. We've been doing trainings on different bed de- designs that we've built. Just last week, um, we partnered with a bedside campaign against hunger and built these little... We, one of the beds that we've tested is sub-irrigated planters, so we built these small sub-irrigated planters, and then they went out and delivered them to different um, community members that they work with, and we did a training on <laughs> using the sub-irrigated planters, so it's part of their kind of food security outreach that these different... Um, that, that people will put these little sub-irrigated planters in their backyards so in bed So I think we right now we're doing just a lot of, like, volunteer hours and workshops and, and just interacting with the gardeners in our spaces and with other people that, that live around them. Um, let's explain a little bit what is a sub-irrigated planter. So a sub-irrigated planter <laughs> is... Um, it is a bed that has a reservoir beneath the soil that um, you fill with water, and so there's always a reservoir of air below the soil. You fill that with water, and then that water is pulled up via capillary action by the plants that you're that you're growing. And so we've found those. So you use usually a lighter weight soil medium than people might. Be growing in, they are a little bit more 
kind of labor-intensive to put together. We're going to raise that and a little bit more expensive, but we did a trial of them last year and found them to be highly water-efficient and quite high-yielding relative to your standard wood raised bed. And what are the disadvantages of um, what are the disadvantages to farming with such uh, input-intensive bedding medium? Or how do you? Well, you really have to. You do have to invest a little bit more in in the the bed when you're starting off. Um, it's not the same kind of like capital-intensive, skill-intensive thing to put together. Um, as like a rooftop farm, but certainly you frequently, gardeners in the city will rely on like the, a topsoil donation from the parks department, um, and, and you do need to, to have a lighter soil than just like a, a topsoil compost mix for, your, for that capillary action. To, to work in the planter, so you're going to have to... So beyond discovering use, what really works in terms of your farm and how the um, and how these planters are working, like managing the water inside each irrigated planter during the summer and, and trying to figure out what your water needs are and gathering data for your own use, do you feel like there's cross-applicability for the kinds of tools you're building to help farmers Severin, I couldn't hear you very well. Um, I think it was something about about the outcomes of of our project and their applicability for others. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think well, one of the one of the main outcomes was that it was they were much more water efficient, and so they, that saved. Um, a lot of one, it saves water, which is just a, that's like environmentally great. But two, that also saves a lot of labor for a gardener. And then they were almost twice as productive for the crops that we tested. So one of the things, for instance, this bedside campaign against hunger event that I talked about, that really appealed to them, and they were targeting elderly gardeners that they worked with because. They thought the sub-irrigated planters, one, they had very, very small space available for planters so they can do that, they can get a higher yield in that small space, and two, they, um, it's a little bit less labor for the gardener. So I, I think there is in, there's interest in, in both of those findings. And then, so you guys have designed um, a set of monitoring tools that it feels like could be repurposed or adapted for use in other contexts. And as someone who's really interested in, well, because of farm hack, interested in kind of distributed farmer-driven research, I like immediately um, see uh, Feedback Farms platform as potentially useful for doing like field trials and. Um, Studies by farmers in you know adaptive management or you know more resilient kinds of farming as we look at climate shifting. Does that 
feature in your... Yeah, that, and that's something we're going to work a lot on this year. So we would love to have, if people are interested in, in working with us on that, we'd love to have people get in touch with us because we really want to try to create some sort of like a toolkit that makes it easier for farmers. All these farmers, all, all these small farmers are doing all these interesting kind of small-scale trials, thinking through their systems on their farm. And so we want to make like a little toolkit that helps people do that a little bit more systematically, collect that data and, and put that data together in a way that they can, they can interpret the findings. So we're, we're really interested in that this season. So as you guys are looking, looking forward and people are hearing about your project, are you getting offered more land? Do you have thoughts about how much time you would need to be assured access to land that would make, to make it worthwhile for you to set up your system? Um, I, as far as scale, I mean, we, ha we have heard about lots of different land opportunities. And, um, yeah, and this, this season I think we're just going to work on the spaces that we have. But next season it sounds like we'll really be in, in need of an, of an additional Spots. And um, I think that that it to do farming at scale, we found that the size of our spaces, which are each space about two thousand square feet, is a is a pretty good minimum for like small scale urban agriculture um, in terms of making it a space that's easy to manage and and worth worth trying to do things at a, at, a, at scale. But yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how many we can link together. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, any kind of guidance you wanted to give to other folks who are getting involved in startups, um, in urban small scale urban farming? Some of the like core lessons you might have learned in um, approach approaching materials and reclaiming materials, particularly, or how to engage with people who own spaces. Just a little bit of like uh, words of caution or or advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, 596 Acres has been a really great resource um, for us, and, and they've put together this really nice toolkit for how to approach um, city spaces, city-owned spaces, public land. And then if, if you can get access to that land, the city, in New York at least, has this great set of um, resources that you can access in terms of timber for beds and soil and mulch. Um, so they've really organized that really nicely. So I would recommend that people check out their website if they're interested. And we, we field tested a lot of that <laughs> for them. Um, and then they're working on doing that same thing for private land. And one of the things that we found that was critical for us to get access to our private land was like the um, promise of making it this green space that would be valued for the community, cleaning it up, ensuring it, and ensuring that our operation could be mobile. Have there been any unintended consequences? This is um, following in the theme of technology criticism, but what mm -hmm. have been the impacts as you have observed them in, your, in, de in developing your systems of the technology itself? And have there been unintended consequences to putting more technology into the planters? Into the planters. Um, I 
So, I mean, we've been, we've tried to focus on, we we definitely have had brainstorms that I think have been like really technology intensive and would be like really fun art projects and then have had to like stop ourselves and, and kind of think about the technology just being a tool to help the farm run, like rather than doing, developing the technology. I think because we have these two software developers who can get re- are really excited about that. And so it kind of, we, we step back and try to think about how that, that making that technology. So other than um, our continuing conversation with the farm hack community and other farmers reaching out to you guys, to start articulating some needs, I'm thinking a farm hack thread in the forum or the tool page talking about people's ideas and needs would be a really useful next step. But what else are you guys needing or missing or wanting um, that our listeners might provide? Um, I think people to to pilot um, tools and in in maybe not maybe this season or in the fall season would would be a nice thing and then um, we are also yes yeah, people are in the city and want to come out we are doing a lot of um, a lot of growing and could use extra hands this season and so this is coming to the end so I I want to make sure that I give you a chance to offer up any upcoming events or resources that you want to tag, any thoughts you have. While you're thinking about it, I will make sure that everyone hears about Greenhorn's upcoming Solstice Mixer at the Grain Trail in Keysville, New York, this weekend, June 22nd and 23rd. Pork, eating, celebrating, um, spoken word. We're having a presentation by Eric Andrews at the Vermont Sales Rate Project. Three different bands are playing. It's going to be insane. Uh, check it out on our website, greenhorns.net. Claire, anything from you, resource-wise or event-wise? That sounds great. We'll have we're we're going to put up a new our our website. We're actually putting up a new website like next week. So I would say check it out, and we'll have we have a calendar. We have lots of stuff going on this summer, so that'll be up and up to date next week. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for coming on to Greenhorns Radio and for all your wonderful work pursuing a really exciting part of experimental agriculture. I look forward so much to the continuing conversation. Cool. Thanks so much, Simon. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.